0: Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Well, friends, we're coming uh, to our next study uh, in this book of Deuteronomy. And we're continuing with these uh, addresses of Moses, uh, the sermons of Moses, and we come really to the uh, a sermon, his second sermon, sermon that which began in chapter 5 and verse 1, and is continuing uh, in here into chapter 6. I wonder how long he actually preached for. I think he must have been preaching for a few hours. I think he must have been a Puritan preacher, uh, rather than a modern-day preacher, half an hour. 40 minutes. I'm sure he was a lot longer than that. So it seems from from, his, from these uh, writings. But uh, we're looking at these uh, wonderful commands and seeing how they're so relevant. And it's not just Old Testament time for the past. We're seeing how it has such a bearing for us today uh, in 20th, 21st century uh, Britain and the 21st century world. That The truth of God can never change. The application The way it's applied may be somewhat different, but the truth of God uh, is uh, still the same. And can the things that God requires from us have always been the same. And here especially we're going to see the love that God requires from us and the obedience that God requires from us. It's something He's always asked for, demanded, we could say, from men and women who He has created. He has a right to demand obedience he has a right to demand that we love him he is worthy to be loved he is friends oh perhaps we cannot see it yet but if you're a believer or you know what i'm talking about but here moses is uh, teaching uh, the people and putting before them and into their minds uh, the commandments the statutes and the judgments of the lord verse one these are the commandments the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it. He's teaching them not just for information's sake, not just to put it into their minds, not just for knowledge alone, but that they might do them, that they might keep them. that When they had settled in Palestine, sorry, in the Promised Land, when they had settled in that new place. The emphasis Moses is, as it were, putting into them repeatedly again and again from the Lord, make sure that you are obedient. Make sure you keep these laws, these judgments, these statutes, which I've told you. Make sure you don't forget it. And make sure that you teach them also to your children. Make a point of obeying Him. This is not only for this generation alone, but also for the subsequent generations That are to follow verse 2 that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his Commandments which I command thee this day uh, command thee thou and thy son and thy son's sons all the days of thy life and that thy days may be prolonged the children were to be taught the word the Commandments and then when they were adults and they had their own families and they were to teach their children, and so on, and so on. And so the word of God and the laws of God were, uh, were meant to be kept in such a way and preserved amongst, us, amongst them perpetually. And if they had done this, did this, then they would enjoy a prolonged time uh, in the land of Israel. Then they would live. Then they would enjoy peace and comfortable life in uh, that new, new place. Verse 3. Hear therefore, Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Well, friends, what kind of obedience <laughs> pleases the Lord? What kind of obedience will he be satisfied it, with? Will he be satisfied with just an outward obedience? Will God accept an obedience that is right outwardly, but there is an, uh, but something that is done grudgingly in the heart? Is he pleased with just an external conformity to his laws and for the heart to be, well, a million miles away from what it's doing and there's no heart for him? There's an absence of love from the heart. The person is doing all the right things but there's no love there. There's no, that's not the motivation of their heart. Will God be pleased with a right performance of all that he is saying, his commandments and judgments and statutes? Is that all he's asking for, just an external obedience, just a shell of things for the heart to be missing? Well, Of course, the answer, obviously, is not. God God, we, in, in, in 1 Samuel, we are told, God looks at the heart. God is concerned about the heart. Right through Scriptures, we'll see, and in fact, this is the, my first point, uh, is that God looks, the, the words should be in our heart, and that we should do all these things that we do for the Lord and serve Him from the heart. Well, there are, I've drawn six points from this Sermon of Moses, six headings, you could say, and uh, here is the first one. These words shall be in thine heart, Uh, chapter 6 and verse 6. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Now, the heart of man is one of the main topics in the Bible, and it's mentioned over 900 times. Of course, it's not referring to the physical organ, to our hearts, which pumps blood around the body but it's referring to our inner selves, the very heart of us. The phys- just as the physical heart is the center of our beings, we feel it is, even though we know it's biologically it's somewhat to the left of us, it feels like it's at the very center of our, our, our beings. And it's, the, it's, the, it's our, the place in the Bible, it's represented as the place, the very center of man's personality. It's referring to our inner selves, the heart of man, the seat of man, the seat of our, our mind and our will and our affections is in our heart. Our emotions, well, they spring, as they were, from our hearts. It's here in, in, in our very hearts, in our very inner man that we, we think and we make plans and we formulate ideas and we revolve things around in our minds and we weigh things up, the pros and cons of different situations and we, we come up with our decisions that we want to make and the way that we want to go and all these things happen within us, in our hearts and we muse there and we, we feel there as, as we are musing all the emotions and the will, everything comes into play in the heart of man. We have this, of course, in our uh, language, isn't it? We, have, we say sometimes about uh, oh, that man, that woman, they have their whole heart. Their whole heart is in their work. Or a husband may say uh, to, his, uh, to his wife, uh, as I do sometimes to mine, I love you with all my heart. You know what he means. He's not talking about the physical heart. He's talking about the spirit, the, the inner part of him. I love you with all that is in, in me. I love you with all, uh, with all uh, the whole com- the, my whole commitment is behind my words when I say that. Well, that's how the Lord desires his word to be in our hearts, in our hearts. This is a basic requirement that he has from his people. It's, uh, is, Israel were not given, uh, only given moral laws. You know, they had judicial laws to govern the country. we know, they had the ceremonial laws to teach them how they were to worship and how they were to approach God. And they had all the, the sacrifices as well. Well, it would have been so very easy for them just to get into the outward shell of performing these things. And they could just do all the right things and they could approach that tabernacle and they could approach with the right sacrifices and offer it just as God had said and outwardly it would seem fine but then they were they had no love for the lord they had forgotten perhaps all that he had done for them and they were just coming and doing it as a rote as a form they were just outwardly obeying uh, obeying it and this is what the lord is warning them against but that was sadly that is exactly what did happen to so many of them you remember even the words of christ Somewhat severe words we have to say uh, to the Pharisees when uh, they said to him, uh, the Pharisees said to, uh, to Christ, and he says, Why don't your disciples wash their hands before they have their meals? They were talking about ceremonial washing of the hands. They were so taken up with the outside, but the heart was, was missing. And the Lord answered them as he did so often uh, to those Pharisees. You hypocrites, he said, Well did Isaiah say of you, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, but their heart is far from me. Matthew 15, verse 8. they they gotten, by the time of Christ, the Israelites had gotten into a habit of religious. Religion was very much a part of their life. They got into the habit of going to the temple Three times a year, the males left their cities and their towns. They went to Jerusalem to offer the sacrifice, to celebrate the feasts. They did all that, but uh, there was no very, very little spirituality uh, in the land. That's why when Christ came on the scene, everyone was so amazed, and many of the people were flocked to hear him. And they said, well, we never heard such things before, because he was talking about spiritual realities. And they had not heard these things from the front. They are just been used to the formal way of religion. It can happen to us. It? We just end up going to church. It happened in the 19th century. It was a law. You had to go to church on a Sunday. Not bad law. But you had to go to church. But it, things just became formal. And people just attended church out of duty because they had to do these things. And there was nothing spiritual about so many of them. And so you find many of the sermons even of those days were, were addressing having this outward shell but no a real, a true a work of grace in the heart. Friends, uh, has the Word of God reached your heart? Has it reached your heart? You may, I'm not asking if you know the Bible. You may know the Bible. You may be... Uh, You know the truth, maybe you know it very well. Some people have been to college and studied theology and spent three, four years at Oxford University. I know somebody who did that. And yet they didn't know the Lord. How can you do that? But that's that's what can happen. They knew it, you can have the knowledge in the head, friends, but it's never been received into the heart. And we must always remember the heart, your heart, is the, the, the central thing. As believers, yes, maybe we had, uh, re- have received the word uh, before, but are we still receiving it in that way? Do we still receive it when we hear it every time uh, uh, into our hearts? Do we allow it to, to sink in, to become a part of us? Or is it just in one ear and out the other? We come uh, still expecting to learn, to receive, to, to change uh, through the preached word. We must, friends, allow it to reach deep down within us. But second point of Moses is fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Verse 2, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes. And again, verse 13, thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shalt swear by his name. They were to fear the Lord. Now friends, this cannot mean to be afraid of him so that we cower before him and are scared and are terrified of him and afraid of him and are in fear and dread of him in that wrong way. It cannot mean that. God doesn't want his people to be afraid of him in this way. That's not what it means when it says we are to fear him. Fear and love well oh, they cannot really coexist together in 1st uh, John chapter 3 and verse 18 uh, John says there is no fear in love and again he, he goes on to say perfect love casts out a fear and somebody has said there are has uh, counted i guess that uh, there are 365 fear knots in the bible one for every day well that's wonderful but that's true God doesn't want his people to be fearful in that wrong way, uh, but uh, to love him. So, what then does the fear of God mean? What does it mean to fear him? uh, To fear the Lord, friends, is to have that reverence for him, to have great awe and respect for God as God. To fear the Lord is to trust him and to consider him to be, well, the most important person in your life. That's how you treat him. He's, he's a great king and he's the king of my life. It means taking God in, into a, account in all our plans. Christ is our Lord as well as our Saviour. And on a practical level, well, that means that we seek to do God's will. If we love him, if we respect him, uh, if he is the most important person in our lives, then we will seek to do those things that are pleasing to Him. So that means we want to know His will. We're studying the Word so that we can know His will and all, in all the big decisions of life. We're not leaving Him out of it. Cons- we are uh, resorting to Him. We're asking Him to lead us and guide us in life before we make those decision- decisions. He's very much a part of our life. Thirdly, third point, A third heading, uh, Love the Lord with all thine heart. Here in verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Alongside this right fear of him, they were also to love him. He was their God, and they were to love him sincerely and they were to love him wholeheartedly. Love for the Lord was to be behind their obedience. And they were to love the Lord with the totality of their beings. They, this is what is required of us. We read the scripture last, last week, uh, but uh, I read it again. When the, the, a lawyer asked, uh, came to Jesus, tempting him and said, which is the great commandment in Matthew 22, The Lord, uh, Jesus answered, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But the first commandment, the greatest commandment, the first thing, that duty of man, the primary task of man is to love God, to love Him with all their hearts. This is the heart of our religion, friends. This is the heart of our our Christian, uh, Christian faith. We love the Lord above everyone else because He first loved us. He took the initiative and we love Him in response. It's a responsive love. We love Him because He has had mercy on us. We love Him because He has dealt so patiently with us, so graciously. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve. We love him because he has answered our prayers. He has heard our voice. I love the Lord because he has heard my supplications, uh, David said, and so, so we can say the same. I love the Lord. We love him because he has blessed us in life with undeserved blessings. We love him because, friends, he is just worthy to be loved. He is perfect in all his ways. There is no being who is like our God. And just to know that he is worthy, know him, he is worthy to be loved. But love, what is it, friends? Love is uh, not just a sentiment, but love is also action. It's uh, doing those things that please him. A young writer, uh, once, uh, as Valentine's Day was approaching, Well, she wanted to write an article suggested to her editor of the magazine or newspaper uh, that uh, she'd like to write an article on uh, love. And the the editor quizzed this young writer. He said, well, do you know what love is? And uh, she said, oh, yes, yes, of course I know. Love, she said, is that uh, wonderful feeling that you get when you sit alone with your sweetheart by a lake and In a shimmering moonlight, and he said, Nonsense, that's not love, that's just sentiment. Uh, love is getting up at two o'clock in the morning to fix the baby's bottle. <laughs> well, you know what you know what, exactly what it means. That's what love is, friends. Love is not love, of course, involves feeling, but it's much more uh, than just feeling. And we show our love for the Lord by doing what he tells us uh, to do this is the heart of things, if you get nothing else from this message, remember this all that you do friends must spring out of a love for the saviour, how much he has done for us, how much we owe to him how much he has loved us love begets love isn't it, love begets love, Can we not love him who has loved us wholeheartedly, has he done things sparingly Has He done things half-heartedly? Has He only given us some of Himself? Or has He given us all of Himself? Surely all, how shall we respond? Surely we should love Him in a similar way, as best as we can. Do you love the Lord? Do you have love? You have love in your hearts. There's no doubt you have love. God put love in your heart. Everyone has a capacity to love. The question is, who do you spend your love on? Where does your love go? Who are you giving your love to? You love your family. That's good. You love your work. You love your pastimes. You love your football team. Sometimes. You love your car. You love your dog. You love your cat. Do you love, your, you love the Lord? Is there any love for the, for the Lord in your heart? There should be friends. And not just a part, primarily, with all your hearts, we should love him. In fact, somebody has said, and I think they're well said, that we should. How should we love our neighbour? It's out of the love that we have for the Lord. We can't love the Lord with all our hearts and have any room left to love our neighbour, but out of our love for him, we love one another. You can't do it without a changed heart, though. The natural person, the unbeliever, he cannot love the Lord. There is no natural affection in his heart for God. That's why conversion is so vital. That's why conversion is so important. Conversion alone will change you and give you a new heart. That's what we need if we don't have it. So that's the third heading. Our fourth heading uh, uh, from Moses' sermon here is teaching our children, uh, verse uh, verses 7 uh, to 9 and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down when thou risest up and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates and uh, also in verses 20 to 25, where we have the children asking the fathers, why are we doing these things? Why are we keeping the Lord's statutes? Why are we serving him? And the father was to tell them about all that God had done for them. Now, the point here that Moses is making is that they must teach them diligently to the children, bind them, write them, uh, talk of them these things with uh, your children, the words are uh, are figurative in some senses. They're not not meant to be taken uh, literally. The, but uh, unfortunately, the Jews took uh, took it literally, and they wrote some of the scriptures uh, on scrolls on uh, some passage of scripture, and they would attach those scriptures to their beds, to their doorposts, to their gates. And there you have it, uh, in verse eight the frontlets between their eyes. Well, those were like what the Pharisees used to wear, the phylacteries, little boxes on their foreheads, strapped on their foreheads. And in those box, that box, they would put uh, verses 4 and 5 and uh, other scriptures, and that would be tied there, and that would be like a sign for them that they were following this commandment. He was, again, the external things that they focused on. But they missed the principle. The principle of what the Lord is saying uh, here is that he is to be so very much a part of the family. God is to be a part of family life. Yes, you can have your scripture texts on the on the wall and so on. That's not a big problem. But the important thing is the Lord is to be, as it were, in your coming in and goings out. He is to be a part of your discussions. He is to be a part, the central part of your life. That's what and that's what's in mind here. The Lord is to be at the center, not only when these Jews went out for public worship, but also when they returned to the home and they could see and they could observe in their parents. For well, these parents, they certainly love the Lord and they certainly are sincere in their worship of the Lord, not only when they're in the temple, not only when they're in, uh, in the public eye, but even at home. There's a sincerity about, their, uh, about them uh, for the Lord. And that will give the the children cause to inquire, why, why, why? And it's the same friends with us. Yes, we need as parents to teach our children. We need to spend time with them and teach them the Word and pray with them, especially when they're willing. They reach an age often in their teens, probably when they don't want to know. But while we have them and are able, uh, we should spend time with them. It's no guarantee that they will be become Christians, we wish it was, it's no guarantee that, the, but this is the best course of life, that you, the best foundation that you can lay for them is to actually teach them the word and spend time uh, with them. and then. But then especially by your life. As we live in the home, when there are big decisions to be made, the, the, the children see, oh, what does mom and dad do? Well, they're praying about it. They're gathering the family together. There's trouble that happens. What do they do? Again, they pray and they ask the Lord to intervene. It's a blessing that happens. They, again, they, ask, they, give, they get together to say a short word of thanks to the Lord. And every Sunday they want to go to church. And at midweek they also want to go to church. So why are you doing these things? Why, why don't you stay at home, watch TV and all? Well, because we love the Lord. Because we want to serve Him. He's been so good to us. And they'll see these things. We don't want to badger our children into believing. We can't do that, friends. But we want to win them over by our words and by our life. We want to affect them uh, for good. When, there's, uh, when we need guidance, when we get into the car, uh, they say, oh, mom and dad are pr- uh, or Dad's praying uh, for, for, for safety. Some small things like this. It's just making the Lord a part of your everyday life and they'll take notice of these things. Well, friends, uh, this is uh, so important for us to, and for our, our families. But I must move on. Uh, fifthly, and this is also an important point, beware lest you forget uh, the Lord. Uh, chapter 6, verse 10, <coughs> and it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land, which ye swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities, which you buildest not, and houses full of all good things, which thou fillest not, and wells digged, which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees, which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord. Which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt. And there was a very real danger here for these Israelites that once they were settled in their new home, uh, once the battle To gain the land was over and the time of peace had ensued and they were now able to enjoy that inheritance and all that God had provided for them, that land flowing with milk and honey, that wonderful place God had provided for them. Well, there was a very real danger that they could slip into forgetting the Lord and they could slip into uh, prosperity, would make them somewhat forgetful of all that he had done for them. And that's again exactly what happened to them. On more than one occasion, when things were going well with them, what happened? They slipped into forgetfulness of the Lord. They turned to idolatry, and the Lord had to discipline them and punish them and then bring them back. They come back, and then again things go well, and they slip again. You think of that example of uh, Solomon even, a king, one the, probably the wisest king to sit on the throne of David. And yet he, he had so much given to him. Remember in his early days he just asked the Lord for wisdom and the Lord said, because you've asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you riches and or, all the other things. And he was rich. Probably the richest person on, on, uh, living at the time. And he had uh, so uh, very much. He had a, a, a magnificent house. He had an awesome throne. He had horses and spices and silver and gold. It was said that uh, silver was like, like water. It was like nothing to him. Gold. He had gold, golden vessels from which they all drank and uh, amazing a uh, lot of amazing other things. But what happened to him? We read, sadly, when he was old, uh, then his heart was turned away from the Lord. He married foreign women and his heart was not right with the Lord. In the midst of his prosperity, he took it easy about the Lord's commandments. And he married uh, outside, uh, outside uh, women who turned his heart to idolatry. Beware, lest thou forget the Lord thy God. Many people desire to be rich. They think being rich is... Is actually a wonderful thing. It's a it's a snare. It can be it. We should say a snare, a trap. If you're asking for riches, friends, you're asking for temptations. Lots, a lot more temptations will come your way. Let your prayer be more the prayer of Agar in Proverbs chapter thirty verse nine. He said, "Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full." and deny thee, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal, and take the name of my God in vain. Well, there was a, this danger for them and the same danger for us. Verse 11, their houses were full of all good things. And surely we say the same about us today, isn't it? Our homes today are full of good things. We have good food in our cupboards on our tables. Every day we can enjoy a, a good meal. We have electronic gadgets in every room. We can drive where we want to in, comfortable, in a comfortable way or fly perhaps on, a, on holiday. We have uh, access to medical care. We have a free education for our children up until university level. There are so many good things that we have. And The very real danger, friends, for us that is in the midst of all these good things, we may forget the giver. We may forget him who has blessed us and become so enthralled with the good things that we take it lazy. We become spiritually indifferent to our God. How should we handle it? If God does bless us in such a way as he has, how should we handle uh, temporal blessings? Well, the best ways to be thankful for them to receive them with gratefulness and to hold them in a light way so that if the Lord does take them away, you don't lose your faith, you don't lose your hold on the Lord. So a warning for us, in the midst of prosperity, uh, don't forget the Lord. But then the final point uh, is uh, here in verse uh, 16. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as ye tempted him as in Massa. You shall not test the Lord your God. At Massa, going right back to the beginning of that wilderness journey, right right near the very, in the first few months, well, they'd come out and uh, they'd tested the Lord at a place called Massa. After all that God had done for them, God had given them, done great things. He brought them out of bondage and slavery in Egypt. He would helped them, uh, miraculously brought them across the Red Sea on dry land. He had already provided before Massa. He had provided miraculously again. Manna from heaven fell down six days a week for, for their uh, for their food. And yet, when they came to Massa, and they'd run out of water, then what did they? What what happened? Did they trust the Lord? They should have said, well, God has done all these things for us. We have this tremendous track record, this miracles that he's done in the past. So I can trust, we can trust him now. Did they say that? No, friends, we read that they murmured against the Lord and they said, can God, can God provide water for us? If he is among us truly, then let him provide for us. And they murmured against Moses and against the Lord. They were challenging God. Can God do these things for us? A challenge to the Almighty. Now, friends, this is a, a, a terrible thing that they were doing. But you know, again, there are some people who do that today. There are some professing believers who have left the faith. Because their prayers were not answered. They prayed for something. They said, God must do this and he must do it in this particular way. If he doesn't do it in this particular way, then I'm not going to believe in him. Then why should I listen to him? Then there is no God. Then I'm going to go my own way. Testing God. Challenging God. You must do it in my way, according to what I decide. You can't do that, friends, with the Lord. He's failed the test. He's failed the challenge. I'm not going to believe in Him. Our friends, in times of our perplexity as believers, in times of trouble and distress, which no doubt we have to go through as we are in this veil of tears, let us not say, Can God? Can God help me? Can God provide for me? Can God deliver me? Let not that be our words, our thoughts. Let us instead say as believers in faith and trust, God can. God can help me. God can provide for me. God can deliver me if it is his will. Oh, that's uh, faith. That's the language of faith. That's the language that pleases the Lord, trusting in him at all times. That's what Israel was meant to do through all those tests that came their way, to trust him, but they failed so miserably. Oh, friends, as I conclude... What are all these things teaching us? What is this sermon teaching us? But that we, as God's people, are in a relationship with Him. We're not just a religion, like so many false religions. Do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. Go to the place of worship at certain points. We're not just like that. This is teaching us that we, as God's people, have been brought into a living relationship with the living God, who has loved us and who... Wants and requires us uh, to love him, and the least that we can do is to love him in return and to obey him and serve him wholeheartedly. Oh, how can we increase our love? Must think on these things, must think on Christ, reflect much upon love. Love surely will reflect upon the, the objects that it delights in, and you must make time even during the busy week. Every day, if you can, uh, th- take time to think on what Christ has done for your soul. Think of the way that God has dealt so graciously, so kindly with you. Think of all the times He has helped you. Anything that will stoke up that fire of love for Him. Make a point. Uh, if you if omit you these things, your love will go, grow cold. It's not going to just happen just like that. We will, our love will uh, diminish uh, for Him. But think often of uh, His love for you. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Who can separate us? That's a verse worth meditating on. Believe Him, friends. Serve Him. Obey Him. Because you love Him. Let's close by singing our final hymn, number 469. Now, Saviour, now... Thy love in part, 469.